Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz, and today I have Catherine Cochran with me today, and I have had the pleasure of working with Catherine recently. She is doing a Relationship with Money financial literacy class that's coming up in the future, and so honored to be able to work with you on that with our friend, Ara James. And it really continues my work this month. I started out with Christine Michelle, who did financial abundance and bringing that in from the universe. So we're going to look at the other side with you and really look at, you know, our relationship with that money, maybe some emotional things around it, how we function around money, what that looks like and really deep dive into that financial literacy and what that looks like. So I'm super excited, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. There, I want to thank you for this opportunity. And uh, one of, uh, it's been wonderful to have you in the beta class. Uh, you've added so much of, uh, of your own experiences, uh, perceptions, and your great, uh, great feedback. You know, you mirror, you help me kind of decide and, and focus where I need to go. So I just want to make that uh, say thank you for that. And uh, as you pointed out, it's it's a it's an interesting time that it just kind of came up that we're we're working together. We never kind of planned this. It's just kind of manifested itself. So I wanted to thank you for that, too, and this opportunity to get um, help me on this journey to helping more women. Thanks, Catherine. And I agree. I really think it was destined at that time for us to be working together. Everything just fell into place so perfectly. Yeah. Super excited to be Even doing that it. we can meet weekly. Uh, yes. You know, that we've been able to make that time in our, our busy schedule. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's been wonderful, like going through the different process of everything you're going to be teaching and having all the light bulbs go off. Not only is it a refresher, but it's also all of these aha moments and different perspectives and ways of looking at things, which is really great. Yeah, so I'm excited to bring those to our listeners today. So why don't you start off a little bit by telling us about who you are, how you started out and what your background is with everything. Sure. So, uh, I've been on the island uh, about 18 years, and uh, and it, during that period of time, I've done a, a lot of things um, with my career. Um, so, but I'd like to start way back with how I got to, even got into kind of bookkeeping or financial stuff. You know, back then it was just called 40, 50 years ago. Oh no, more than that. <laughs> it was called something else, right? It was called bookkeeping. You know, reconciling your checking account. But I, uh, I was fortunate that my mother uh, was an accountant, uh, not so much a CPA. Surprisingly, she didn't want to be a CPA. She always loved to play the, uh, when she went to the IRS, oh, I'm a little old lady with a box of receipts. And uh, she was very, very smart and uh, would kind of wrap them around her, her little finger. But that's the, the introduction I had to um, financial literacy and, and bookkeeping, essentially. She always taught me that I could be anything. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be, she was like, oh yes, you can do anything. But in her true Scottish fashion, she said I had to have a trade to fall back on. Something like, you know, carpenter or a cook or in this case, bookkeeping. And so growing up, that's what we did together. We did bookkeeping. She would take me to the office I learned how to reconcile checking accounts when I was eight years old. I had my own 10 key uh, machine. And so I was just kind of destined to uh, understand numbers and went on to become a math teacher. I got a degree in math and education, then got a master's in management with a focus on intercultural communications. And uh, then I've had some certifications that help support that in terms of project management um, and most recently uh, a financial education uh, instructor certification. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite that 
thread has always run through my life in terms of bookkeeping and numbers and and uh, and now I'm into the next phase of my life, more the retirement phase and consciously moving into that. And it seems like this is going to inform that as well. So that's right. That's how I got here. <laughs> so tell us about this program that you're going to be teaching. Sure. So uh, one of the things that that motivated me about this is that uh, last year I was uh, sitting in the audience of the Professional Business Women's Conference in California in a room with, um, you know, 5,000 women. Uh, as an aside, Kamala Harris spoke. That was really cool. Right. But back to the, the subject here. Uh, there was a woman who was speaking about how important it was to put women in charge of big, big um, pockets of money. Like managing um, investments, uh, big, you know, um, institutional, millions, billions of dollars. And that her experience was when women, she was an investment banker, if women were managing big, big parcels of money, that they could change the world. They would influence it with the kind of the feminization uh, as Toffler talked about the fourth wave, the feminization of the, the workplace. But it's we see that the power is really in the money. And I sat there thinking that was a really cool idea. And so she had these funds that women could invest in. And it, it being a systems thinker, I thought to myself, well, what kind of skills do the women in this room have to have to, to understand what this woman's talking about in terms of the impact on the world and how they get into it and understand what works for them? And I realized that there were lots of incredible programs out there being run by incredible women, but some of the basic skills that we need uh, as working day, you know, folks, we don't necessarily have is researching her investments. How would I know which one was good for me? Or when I'm watching a financial literacy seminar and they say, well, put it in a spreadsheet. And I know lots of people who would say, I don't even know what a spreadsheet is or what is Excel or is it even on my laptop? So that was one side, the basic skills to be able to take advantage of all these cool programs that are coming along. So I went to, to get a certification. Now I found this really cool organization uh, and I thought they're going to teach me how to teach um, what compound interest is, right? How to put a budget together. And it turned out that 90% of the, the, you know, it took me about four months to complete, of the education was about setting the right environment to talk about financial literacy because it was so laden with emotions. It's not like when I learned how algebra or I was teaching algebra, eh, nobody had any emotions other than hating it. Um, when I learned English, I didn't have an emotion about it. But when you start to talk about money with people, it's their, their experiences, their parents' experiences, their significant others, decisions, good and bad that they've made in the past really are ingrained in how they think about this relationship. It truly is a relationship. And if they've had good experiences in the past with their money, it will help inform better relationships in the, in the future. And so I was really, really realized that I didn't wanna just make a video, like there's tons of them out there, but to have a very high touch um, experience with students primarily with women, but I can see certainly a, a, a more a different way of addressing this with, with men maybe, but to, to establish a very collaborative, safe and trusting environment, almost like group therapy, that we can talk about these relationships and work through them and work through making better decisions or different decisions or being validated in our decisions. And so that's what I want to add to this amazing industry out there is this, this side of looking at our, our psychology. 
Wonderful. Yeah, it's so exciting. It's been a great experience to dive deep into where some of these originated from. Can you give our listeners some examples of how emotions play a role in how we look and function with money? Sure, sure. So it, we've talked about this, Liz, the, the, yeah. the concept of the more knowledgeable other. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're more knowledgeable other, uh, in my case, it was my mother, um, has a good relationship with money, then I'm going to have a kind of a confidence. Now, it would have helped if I had paid attention to her earlier in my career, (laughs) but I did make some mistakes. I got involved with a a guy who ruined my credit. And, uh, And so I started to feel question my confidence about making decisions about money. I felt that I, I didn't have the skills and I certainly wasn't going to tell my mom I'd made a mistake or that I'd gotten deep into debt. And so that just, just continued to make me feel badly about it until um, I had to sit back and actually look at why do I feel like I can't make a good decision? Why do I feel I don't deserve to be prosperous? Oh, because I made a mistake in the past. So that's an, that's a personal example of how I was confident going in. And then even after, um, you know, some bad situations that I began to feel uncomfortable and not confident with my, my uh, decision-making. Great. Are there any examples you can give around, say somebody wants to purchase a car or a teenager mm-hmm. or, you know, a 20 something gets their first credit card or something like that? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that we've noticed in the class and uh, that we've talked about. And actually, we just we kind of discovered that um, this this last Saturday yeah. was um, the having six months worth of um, expenses saved. And you and I discovered that was one of the um, uh, recommendations when a young person was getting ready to get their first credit card was to make sure that they had saved six months worth of whatever their expenses were at that time, whether it was gas or whether it was going to the movies, whatever they they spend those six months, but they save that. And that shows kind of the discipline needed because if you can do that, then you can pay your bill, your credit card bill every month. So there was that concept. That was also a concept that um, we've talked a lot about with planning our, our goals and putting our objectives together and making sure that we, as we manage our money, that we pay ourselves the six month cushion and then we pay our retirement and then we pay ourselves in terms of fund money so there was that was a really interesting idea to use with someone who wasn't in the job market necessarily or had a part-time job was for them to think about planning six months worth of expenses and having it saved before they got a credit card it, it, and I, I try to use in my, my training an out, different analogies. So that reminded me of um, when, uh, a technique when a child wants a pet, a dog, was the mother uh, said to the child, yes, you can have a, a pet if you walk around the block every day for two weeks and show that you have the discipline to uh, take care of the dog. As it turned out, they didn't do that and get the dog. But it's that kind of thing. It, it proves to the person that they can do it uh, as well. That was one of the interesting techniques we, we discovered. Yeah, that was. That was really fascinating how there was this, look, okay, how are you prepared before you do these things? What have you set up financially, you know, the the cushion, you know, are you contributing to retirement or even before that, have you set up six months worth of savings 
to pay all of your bills in case something happens, like what's happening right now, right? Do Are you setting aside fund yeah. money for yourself, you know, and, you know, paying yourself first. And then mm-hmm. the other three things that were really fascinating, are you a person who spends, you know, as a saver, spend, you know, below your yeah. means, within your means or above your means? So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And that was another interesting co- concept uh, of ca- categor- categorizing yourself, helping you understand where you fit in um, in financial planning. And, you know, if you don't really understand where you are, you don't, it's like you can't, unless you measure something, you can't change it because you don't know what your baseline is. So what is our baseline? Do we live within our means? Do we live below our means or do we live above our means. Now, when I got in trouble with my credit, I was living beyond my means. Absolutely. And, and that meant I was spending more than I was taking in. And that was pretty much because I didn't have a budget. I was not watching where my money was going. And, and it was really easy to say, yeah, I don't know. What could another $25 do? Oh yeah. You know, I really deserve to go out to the Red Fox for one more drink. Right. So that was living beyond my means. And I didn't even know I was living beyond my means because I didn't have a budget. Living within your means is just there. You're spending as much as you're bringing in. That's better. You're the, the, the cost of, Um, living beyond your means. There is a huge cost in terms of somebody else is funding your uh, living beyond your means. And that means they're charging you interest. Typically you're living on credit. So you're paying for that convenience to live beyond your means. If you're living within your means, you're you're doing great. You're not paying that extra um, fee for the convenience, but you're also... uh, at a perilous kind of position if things um, get bad, if you lose your job, you have a medical problem, or, or you just want to be able to change your lifestyle, or you want to be able to help somebody else. You just don't have it. And this, of course, is assuming you don't have all the, the savings in place. Living below your means is all about consciously not spending as much as you bring in. And it's tough to do at first. I, I think that's my, my experience. But once you've done it, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You just love watching that number go up and not crying at the end of each month, you know, paying your bills kind of thing. It just, it feels better. But so living below your means is meaning you have more uh, income at the end of the month, and that then you can save it and help it grow to help you in the future. Great, but it takes planning. It's it's a conscious decision, and it's it's you know we hear this a lot, living consciously, and and money is really important to um, you have to really be conscious about it, not obsessed. You broke up a little bit there. Oh, I did. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Not obsessive about it. You oh, think. I see. I'm on. Yeah. The internet connection says it's unstable. Yeah, it happens. It's okay. It's the, okay. everybody's on now these days. So <laughs> you had um, brought up cards earlier, which made me think of hidden fees. And that was something that you had been talking about throughout all of the different sections and all the different meetings. And so discuss a little bit where all of these little hidden little pockets ah. lay for us. Well, yeah. So, and this gets back to very important, the, the psychology of how that, how we get sucked into hidden fees. Um, there's our Capitalism, our economic structure, um, lives off growth, and we're constantly encouraged to buy more, to to spend more, to 
you know, to the point where we think we need to have a new car as soon as we pay off the old one, or we have to have a bigger house, or, you know, we just pay off our credit card. And now we got more, um, more we can spend. So we're constantly inundated with, with um, growth, growth, growth. And to do that, to make us want to do that is to also offer us a good deal. So quite often you'll see in a, in a car uh, ad, no down payment, no, uh, you know, zero down, 0% for the first six months. And you're like, great, I don't have a cent in my bank. I maxed out on my credit cards. I need a new car, or I think I need a new car. I want a new car, don't need a new car. And great, I'm gonna go in and, uh, and they're just gonna give me a car for nothing. They're gonna let me drive away. What typically happens then is you get in there, you, you uh, negotiate, you're saying this is too good to be true. And the next thing you know, they're saying, well, uh, we do have taxes that you need to pay. And we do have a service fee you need, uh, service fee you need to pay. And we have a financing charge that you need to pay. And the next thing you know, it's cost you a thousand dollars. And that's not what you expected. But now you're already there. You're already committed. Love the car. It's got it's the color you wanted. It's seafoam green, and you always wanted a seafoam green four-door. And now you're you're into the emotional buying back to the psychology. Now you're into emotion. I can't back away. I don't want them to think I can't afford it. And so now you have these hidden fees that you're now committing to something, all these fees you, they didn't put in the ad and you are emotionally invested in making sure it happens. So you've extended yourself. And that happens a lot that uh, we talked about um, credit card uh, fees. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to make money regardless. Uh, and they got to make that in the car situation. They got to make some money up front. They're not going to just give you a car and let you walk away for zero down and zero percent. Right. Yeah. And the credit card companies, you know, and we did something last Saturday where we walked through that, you know, this is how much cash I have. This is how much my credit balance is. This is how much we want to spend. And is that lunch with that friend worth that extra fee or is that outfit that you think you need, you know, for that job interview worth that extra charge, you know, what's that outfit going to end up costing at the end, right? All really good things that we have to continue to think about, you know, especially during times mm -hmm. like this. When I, and we all hear this about uh, interest rates and uh, you know, get a lower rate card. That's another one of those bait and switch, right? Yeah, I'll get from one credit card to another credit card and, and it's 0% for six months. And if I move it, right, then uh, there's always a trade-off. There's, there's always a trade-off in um, convenience. It's, it's, you know, it's energetics. Uh, you know, we just move the energy around. Mm -hmm. And so it, when one of the examples of having too many credit cards and moving them around is that that impacts your credit rating. We talked about that a little bit, mm -hmm. but the one about uh, interest rates and we all, they always say, don't pay the minimum. And so we looked at that, a real exercise about what that meant. And I think it was a $1,500 credit balance and the minimum payment was $33 and it would take 60 months to pay it off and that the interest was going to be $2,600 on a $1,600 purchase. Credit cards are going to make money off us. That's why everybody has their own credit card. Why do you think the Seahawks have a credit card? And why do you think, you know, uh, be, uh, you know your university has a credit card, right? They make a ton of money if we pay the minimum balance. Right. And so we need to look at credit cards like it's a loan and say, if I'm going to put a big purchase on a credit card, 
I'm going to pay it off in 12, 12 months or whatever we decide and then pay it off like that. If we let it string out, we're going to pay more for the purchase than, you know, than we did in interest than we did for the actual purchase. Mm -hmm. So if people have gotten credit cards, yeah, they are (laughs) scary. (laughs) If people have gotten themselves into credit card debt, what do you recommend for getting out of credit card debt? Ah, you know, this is good because I did not mention this up front. Um, I don't give advice. Uh, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not certified for that. But I can tell you what Susie Orman said or what it said in our training. Love Susie. Yeah, you love Susie Orman, so do I. (laughs) I love Susie Orman. She's practical. She's very practical. She might not be, you know, what, uh, I don't know, uh, Nouriel Rubini might say about Mm -hmm. credit cards. But uh, they, and this is um, common wisdom, I would say, nowadays. Yeah. If you have multiple credit cards, you pick the one that has the highest uh, interest rate and you pay that one down. So you pay the others with the minimum. This is one of those few uh, situations where you do the minimum balance. And you do that so you can throw as much money as you possibly can at that higher interest rate credit card. And so you pay that one off and then you cut it up and then you move to the next one. And uh, what, once you get them all paid down, then you continue to use them, but you, you commit to paying them off every month. If some people use credit cards, and I recommend this when like a small business, that they have a credit card they're using just for the business. My brother has a lot of um, properties that he manages um, and he has one credit card for all the repairs that he does. So it makes it easier at tax time, but pay it off every month and don't let that balance build up. So their credit cards are great to have. You need them if you want to travel. They're great for an emergency. Uh, and if you build your credit up with them, with the, a credit card company, you have leverage for reducing your rate over time, or if you get into some trouble and you do need to use your credit card for everyday expenses and and have a balance, you can talk to them. You can, as long as you're in good standing with a credit card company, you can do some really interesting things Mm -hmm. uh, with reducing your rate, getting on a payment plan, different things like that. Right. Yeah, they're much kinder. I could share my my experience with American Express, right? <laughs> yeah, they're much kinder with people I who my car. credit standing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Because now you're in a partnership. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, um, I, I talked about having um, challenges in the past as a, as a youngin, um, but I did dig myself out. And as we discussed last week, uh, your credit, within seven to 10 years, bad credit kind of falls off and, and you've built up. So that's, it's kind of like on the same cycle as recessions. And so when I went to buy my car for my uh, big, my last big birthday, I bought a used car, but I called American Express beforehand and said, I'm going to buy a car uh, in the tens of thousands. And uh, is that okay? And they said, yes. And so when I went to the, I paid, you know, I'd saved up my cash for this. So what I did is went to the credit, the uh, dealer, used my American Express. They were fine with that. And I got all those miles (laughs) because I already had the money and saved for the car. I paid off the American Express bill right away, but I got lots of miles for that. Yeah, that's another bonus. So that's gaming the system. Yes. (laughs) And you get to travel. Yep. Another spot spot that fees can hide are uh, regular banks as opposed to credit unions. Really good point. So banks are all about, sure. Banks are all about, uh, you know, they've got stockholders and they're in competition with each other to get stockholders who invest money and allow them to expand and, and they're really, and they've got big uh, um, salaries. 
um, you know, they've just got a, a different kind of prestige and, and model for making money where credit unions are owned by the people who invest or, or, or who are actually deposit, who, who are customers of the bank. So Puget Sound, um, OCCU, um, and I, uh, there's another one that I belong to, Grow, they keep their fees down because we are the owners. We want to keep our fees down. We want to keep the money in the bank and turn it over and lend it to the members. And, you know, it's kind of a, like a cooperative. Um, the trade-off with that is, you know, with PC, uh, Puget Sound, we can't do, um, we don't have quite the technology that say Bank of America has. So I can't take a picture of a check and immediately goes into my credit union. But I'm willing to um, forego that convenience because the fees are lower in a, mm -hmm. in a credit union. And also credit union, you can, it's easier to establish a relationship typically because there are smaller offices and they do rely on people coming in and out. You can see Bank of America doesn't even have an office on Fashion anymore, but OCCU and Puget Sound does. Mm -hmm. So they're really much more about the relationship with the person uh, and keeping the money rolling through the organization, people depositing, and also them lending that money out to the community, to their kind of co their cooperative. Yeah, it's nice. OCCU is <laughs> starting to do the take a picture of the check and starting to implement some of those other things that the other banks have. So that's nice. And for our listeners who are, you know, outside of Vashon Island or in the big cities or in another state also, yeah, credit unions really way to go. You mm -hmm. know, skip all of those fees has been really nice. Yeah. I've been a member of yeah. for years now. Um, let's see. How and about do you find that works with, I think, most people worry about ATMs. Do you find that you don't have that problem as much anymore? No, not as much. Traveling because you travel. Yeah, I do. I travel. Um, one, I try not to use them, first of all. But if I have to, usually they have a sister bank or another credit union will recognize that you bank with a credit union. So you won't get a fee. Uh -huh. So it is worth if you're going to travel to look into who they partner with and look for those. And then if not, I just kind of skip it. And sometimes you can go into the grocery store now and get money back, you know, if you're using your debit card. So there's that too. <laughs> no ways around that. Yeah, when you're picking up your bag of Cheetos. <laughs> exactly. Right. So we used our credit cards. We are talking about the bank. Let's talk about credit rating. How do we um, keep our credit rating high? And if someone has a low credit rating, how do they work to get it up? Okay, so this is a really deep, deep, uh, uh, deep. subject. Yeah. Lots, lots of moving parts on this, and and uh, I should have the checklist around here. Oh, I just might have the checklist with me. But um, so credit. The, the thing about credit that has surprised me over the years. You know, I've been in this game a long time, uh, meaning the the game of life, and you know, credit scores used to just impact. Um, if you got a credit card or the interest rate on a credit card, or if you got a mortgage, or if you got a loan, you know, for your car loan. But now it's being used in ways that we talked about this on Saturday, um, that can really impact your life negatively. And in, in something that's completely unrelated to your, uh, what you're trying to get, for example, uh, it can impact your car insurance. You could get a higher car insurance because your credit rating is low. Now, nothing in that credit rating says that you had uh, a catastrophic um, health issue that hasn't impacted your, your driving. Your driving's great. Why should you have to pay more for insurance when you're a good driver? Because you had something that impacted your credit rating. The other, um, it also impacts, we talked about, um, you know, loans and things like that. It can also impact getting a job. So now, you know, we might say I'm financially independent. I got enough money in the bank. I'm not really worried about, I, I don't want a credit card. I want to be completely off the grid. 
that can also negatively impact your, your credit rating. And so now it starts to get into your insurance, getting a job, different aspects of your life. So it's really, really important. I think the analogy we talked about on Saturday was it's like getting good grades in school. Uh, will you get a better job? Will you maybe get into a better college? Will you, you know, it, it kind of impacts that way. Think of it as a, your report card. So the best way, uh, this is always hindsight, right, is, is to start off uh, thinking about that. And this was part of that conversation of having six months saved up before you get your first credit card. So that when you get your credit card, you can pay it off every month because you really need to have a credit card, some type of credit to establish your credit rating. Because if you don't have one, they're not going to say Catherine's an 800 because she's never had a loan in her life. They, I'm an unknown. And if I'm an unknown, they're still going to look at my, you know, not going to rate me high. They're going to err on the side of caution. So we do need to establish credit. Credit cards are a good way, a mortgage, car loan. And then we have to make those payments religiously. And that's where automatic uh, bill pay is really helpful um, to make sure that we don't miss any of those payments. Now, once you've established your credit with a, a credit card and you miss a couple payments just because, you know, a health reason or you just didn't have automatic bill pay going on, they're, they're not as they, you have a good relationship with them and they're not going to report you to the credit bureau once you've established that. But before then, what happens if you miss a payment, miss two, it shows up on your credit report and it will say in the last six months, Catherine missed two payments or in the last two years, Catherine missed 12 payments. It actually gets down to that detail and other um, organization, and that then affects that three-digit number. You know, are you a 750 or a 619? It affects that number, and then that number can be used by other people. Uh, like I said, a job, another loan, um, you know, your, your insurance. So, so it's important that you don't miss payments that you don't open a lot of credit cards. If you have two or three, pay them off on a regular basis and don't start uh, credit card shopping. I've done that in the past. Oh, here's a zero credit. I could use that. And the next thing you know, you got six or seven credit cards. They look at that. that that's not looked on favorably. It looks like you're trying to spread uh, or try to live on credit cards. Mm -hmm. So uh, better to pay them off and, you know, establish two or three. Like I, I said, my husband's American Express is 1969 member since <laughs> get one that you, you feel comfortable with two or three. And, and then that's it. Don't fall into, Ooh, I need one that has a Seahawks logo on it. Right. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> we had that checklist, didn't we on, on, uh, yeah, we did what to do. I'm trying to look for that. Find that. We'll go back to it. How about setting yeah. up a budget to make sure we're not tapping into that credit? Yeah. So the budget one is um, is uh, is all about discipline. There's a there's a joke. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. And so how many financial planners does it take to make a budget, you know, but uh, just one, but the, the uh, light bulb has to want to make that budget. So it takes some discipline. Now there are tools out there um, that can help you with the first step. The first step is understanding how much you spend and how you spend it and looking for those opportunities to cut expenses. Now, I'm sorry, my light bulb seems to be going uh, uh, dimming here on me. Um, there we go. So the first thing is to uh, figure out how much you spend. Now there's a, a fair, I've heard of this, this tool called Mint. My niece uses it and the research I've done on it seems pretty good uh, where you can 
bring everything together, your investment accounts, your bank accounts, your saving accounts, credit unions, uh, the money, you, so you, you've got your income and expenses there. If you're primarily using uh, credit cards or debit cards, better to use debits because then you, you can only spend as much as you've got. And it will give you, it will track all those. And you can then take those, those expenses and categorize them in the tool, I believe, and then see how you're spending money and see where you've, you have opportunity. I did that recently, uh, well, at the beginning of this year, because every year uh, my husband and I sit down and uh, look at our finances. Believe me, it's fun for me, but <laughs> he gets a great involved. idea. Yeah, we do. It's part of our New Year's. Uh, what, what did we fix on the house and how are we doing financially? And so we look at we looked at that and I did say, you know what, let's try and live like we're going to be we're on our retirement income. And what can we what where do we have to save? And certainly one of them was some of the premium TV channels. Some of them was um, some things that, you know, I not my black turtlenecks. Those are still on the list. But <laughs> everything else. Uh, was a fair game to look and see if, if, but we, unless you track it, unless you're willing to look at it and then, um, and you might have to make some really tough choices. You might have to look at it and say, I can't afford this car or the kids have to start, you know, have to get a job to help pay for their insurance or, um, you know, maybe I need to move. Uh, and, and I, that's one of the things my husband and I talk about too, is that kind of drop dead. And we, it, early on in, in having the house, we, you know, like during the 2008 recession, when things started getting really bad, we had to look at it and say, how bad does it have to be before we have to drastically change our lifestyle? I didn't want to make that decision when I was freaked out, uh, laid off, you know, had a catastrophe. I wanted to know that if these three indicators happened in my life, then I was emotionally ready to make a dramatic change. And that's part of that psychology of finance is, is having those hard dis discussions with yourself and, and sometimes making the sacrifice because the world has the world in which we've based our assumptions have, have changed, but it's, it's awareness at that point. So anyway, yes, you have to have, so you figure out how much you've spent, how you spend your money, and then you look at the budget. You say, okay, a hundred bucks a month on my premium channels, because that certainly is my addiction. And I will cut out my lattes and I'll cut out the expensive wine. I'll buy the cheaper wine. Um, and I'll go out for coffee instead of a full-on dinner. And you start to make those adjustments, and then you'll you check that every month and say, okay, I said I have $75 for going out with my girlfriends, and I spent 60. Great. Maybe next month I'll pay not I'll spend 90 instead of 75. So you begin to to um, actually see your money. And one of the things I've discovered when my niece lived with us is that we don't have the relationship with our money like we used to. Yeah. When we got a paycheck and we cashed it and we paid for our gasoline with cash. And I went to the, the market and I paid cash. I really did see in my wallet, oh yeah, I don't have enough to make it through the end of the week. And I, we just don't see that like we used to. Yeah, no. So budgeting is a little harder. Yeah, and that, that's hard. <laughs> I can budget easily when I see I got twenty bucks left, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know a lot of people. You, you know, I hear, oh, I need to check my account, or you know, because that debit card feels like the credit card, and oh, here's, you know, here it is, here it is, here it is. And then a lot of people don't keep track anymore. Keep a ledger, you know, like when we had a checkbook, and we could just, you know, write oh, yeah. in the ledger everything that we were doing. And 
you know, sometimes it's easy to just pop online and like, say, okay, this is what I've spent. And this is how much they say I have left and that sort of thing. But then you have to have a running tally of what's coming up because a lot of things are automated now, you know? Okay. So what's going to come You're out? You're so here? right. What's going to come out there? You know, it's totally different than when I was 20 years old, you know, 30 years ago or even 30 yeah. or 35. Yeah. It's totally different. I agree. It's so different. And uh, I rem- when I was, um, oh, in my 20s, and uh, I remember a woman who, who um, I think her f- husband had passed away. And so she was learning about money. And she was trying to teach her daughters about it. And what she did is uh, went to the bank, you know, cashed her, her check, and literally bought, brought the money home and put it in front of them and then had them literally touch it and say, okay, here's what an electric bill costs, pull that money out. Okay, here's what food costs, take. okay, how much is left? And help them really see um, what that really meant. And I learned so much from that, that you know, there's those aha moments that we've talked about. Um, yeah, And I, I encourage that uh, if your, your kids are in an age where they, um, I used to be a high school math teacher. So these things kind of come to mind. It's these kind of tools to help kids because there isn't financial literacy out there. And even if there is, it's a just in time kind of training. It's JIT. You know, the light bulb has to be willing to, uh, to learn. Yeah. And it's nice. It has to to be some context. Yeah. That visual you were describing is great. You know, because they don't have that concept yeah. and then they get the job and then yeah. they see, they see it start to dwindle super fast. They're like, Oh, I have to slow down my spending. I'm almost yeah. out of money. <laughs> I have one that's <laughs> new on his own and he's like working out his budget and you know, how much, you know, categorizing everything. How much does this cost? How much is my insurance? How much is my payment for this? You know, and this is how much I have, you know, for the whole month. So it's fun to watch him, you know, start to do the process, you know, have some oh, intelligence around it is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. And where did he learn his skills? And like all children, did, was it in parents, I'm thinking, and then from his own experience, because he started, he was a lifeguard at 15. So I think having that experience early on with money and what he was going to spend it on and if he wanted to save it. And he liked to buy special things for himself. Mm-hmm. So he would save for those special things that he wanted to purchase. Yeah. So it was good for him to have that early experience before he left the house for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fun to watch. I've seen the opposite, more of the opposite. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay. So let's yeah. talk about, since we were talking about our budget, wants versus needs a little bit Ooh. and how that plays. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know that, and it's interesting. It's, it, it, and you know, from being in the, you know, these meetings with me, I have a tendency to think big picture I'll use a biological analogy and I'll use something out of HD Odom in terms of systems you know philosophy or theories and and uh so I may bring one up in this this um this question but and actually I just forgot the question wants versus needs right okay so I was a I, I was a consultant in um in Oracle uh, still work there, but uh, that's how I, I started. And one of the things we learned very quickly is that um, a cu- a, when a customer wanted something versus needed something, and they always wanted what they had and not what they needed. And it was our job to teach, to help them down the path to show them what they really needed, not what they wanted. And so that that helped me, for example, uh, I really wanted a new car, but did I need a new car? No, I needed, I needed transportation. And I need, so I didn't need a new car. I needed a used car. So it's, it's looking at what, what you need, not what society is telling you you want. 
you want to keep up with them. You wear Calvin Klein. Now I'm dating myself. It's really, what do I need? I really just need a pair of jeans, right? So the, the difference between what, so we have to look at how, when we're, we're planning for something or we know we have a big, well, it could be a little one. I, you know, I need to go out to dinner, but do I need to go to Canlis or can I go to Perry Burgers, right? So what do I really need is, is one of those things that we have to build that muscle memory when we're purchasing something is um, what do I need and versus what do I want? And then once I figure out what I need, it's what I'm willing to pay for it. And then is it worth worth it in the long run? So you and I talked about um, uh, kind of interest, right? Or um, what was it we were talking about? I think some kind of payment. Twenty five. It was twenty five dollars. And something I learned from my husband is how much money do you have to have in the bank to generate enough return on that money, interest typically, to pay for that, right? So do I have enough discretionary income and do I have enough savings that I can afford to pay that amount of money? So we look first at emotion. Why do we want to purchase this thing? Is it a want or a need? If it's a need, how much do we need it? How much are we willing to pay for it? And if we look at how much it's going to cost us uh, in the long run, interest rate, taking out of savings and losing that, um, the way we're growing our money, there are a lot of things to look at. Is that, is that what you had in mind? Yes. Yeah, that's a good direction, which takes us into what we're experiencing right now. So I'm sure a lot of people are asking that question right now, that want versus need question with, you know, maybe they've lost their job, maybe they're on unemployment, you know, maybe that just their hours have been cut and they're facing like, okay, what is, what are my wants and what are my needs? What, um, what skills would you offer, you know, our listeners to be able to better manage, you know, what we're you know, experiencing right now in these markers that are kind of pointing us towards recession? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, we are in a recession. Okay. The, the indicators that confirm we're in a, uh, a recession are lagging indicators. They're showing us where we've been. They're probably six months old. We probably went into a recession the beginning of this year. We started to move that way. Now, what's interesting about what's happening now is that we're not, there's, there seems to be this exuberance, this, this false uh, exuberance about the market, the economy. And, and it's going to, that, that bubble, it, it's not based on anything tangible if you you know you read seeking alpha or you read you know yahoo finance it's like the the basics in which we um, measure a sound economy are not there for example uh the the debt the you know our, our debt our deficit the national deficit is huge compared to the way it was you know well four or five years ago right and that's going to come to haunt us at some point. So what we need to do, I think what it gets back to one of the things I said earlier is in preparation for this, we are in a recession. We can, we can identify that by just looking at our community. Are people losing their jobs? Are they having their hours cut? Are we seeing fewer lines you know, places that we used to see them. We can see when a recession is happening, when the, the money starts to constrict. I think we can say that. Um, what we, 
And so we're already there. And the, the decisions that we needed to make to, to weather a recession really needed to be in place. Like the six months uh, of, of um, uh, expenses in a savings account, or I just watched a, a, a seminar on, on preparing for the recession and having a side hustle. Uh, they called it, you know, it, it, it was all about just work, 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 find any job that you can and work and make tough decisions about, like I talked about, what's my drop dead? If things are bad enough, how do I dramatically change? Do I get a roommate? Do I move back to Florida? Do I, you know, this is a, this is a tough time to think about really open eyes scary, what kind of decisions do I need to make? And so uh, one of the things I did learn recently is if you, certainly we know there's unemployment. And what something I did not know is if you've had your hours cut, you can still get unemployment. So I did not know that. A reduction in hours, that was it. And you can um, uh, apply for unemployment. It's a little different, difficult for, for those of us who have, um, who don't have that kind of safety net of a corporation that's been paying unemployment for us. And so that's where it's really important to have, start saving. Susie Orman will tell you right now, don't spend anything. Don't spend anything. Your needs, food, shelter, we're on the bottom second from the bottom tier of Maslow's hierarchy, which is security. And we have to feel empowered to say, no, I can't afford that birthday party. I can't afford that donation. I can't, I have to save everything. If you save everything and you come out of this a year later and you're great, yeah, donate. You know, do do all of that. But right now you have to protect yourself because if you don't protect yourself, you can't add back. This is like when I manage the emergency response teams. Don't become a victim. Take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others later. And don't sacrifice yourself. So it's it's a tough time right now. I hate to sound gloom and doom, but we really need to make some hard decisions on, on what we do with our money and our future right now. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for I'm, sharing that. I feel uncomfortable smiling after that. <laughs> great advice. That great advice that thank people you. need to hear. No, thank you. And I think that's a great place for us to stop. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we end? Sure. Uh, after that gloom and doom, uh, recessions happen six to every six to 10 years. And so we can prepare for them. This is, we should always have six months of expenses. We should pay ourselves first. And that means in our retirement and in our um, savings and our emergency funds, we are worth it. And, uh, and we need to take care of ourselves and we're going to come out of this. And um we're going to do great. We always come out of it. Yes. And how can people reach you if they want to um, take your class? Oh, okay. Uh, I have just established a uh, website called Finlet Freedom. And as you know, you were you and Ara are my beta class. Yeah. And so I've learned a lot from that. And now I need to um, figure out what's the best tools to put in place so that we can make it efficient uh, and, and trusting and um, safe. And uh, so, um, yeah, there's a, I believe there's on my Finlet Freedom website, uh, a contact link so you can get to me through there. Great. And can you spell that website for us? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, it's like financial literacy, F-I-N-L-I-T freedom.com. Great. And do you have an email by any chance? And I'll make you the contact. Do I have what? Do you have an email? email by any chance? I think it's in. 
Info at finlitfreedom.com. Great. Info at finlitfreedom.com. F-I-N-L-I-T-F-R-E-E-D-O-M.com. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Super excited to get this information out. I hope everybody enjoys it. Everybody, Catherine Cochran, please look her up, look up the website and email her if you'd like to work with her. She's wonderful to work with. Lots of fun, tons of information. It's been a pleasure. Catherine, thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. You've been great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Great. Have a good night. And thank you for joining me, everyone. Again, this is Liz. Raise the vibe with Liz. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe, everybody. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.